Hello, welcome to the 12th episode of the Dragon's Pen, podcast about fantasy writing, sci-fi writing, and other genre-specific writing. My name is Martin, I'm a fantasy writer myself, and I have spent years attending and leading workshops working with aspiring writers to help them understand how to improve their texts. I thought I might share my experience and give you some advice on how to develop your worlds, build your stories and characters, and help you write your own fantasy or sci-fi saga. So let's get to it. This week's episode is genuinely named the dangerous business of going out of your door. Hashtag Nanovrimo. You might have heard about the Nanovrimo initiative, a national write a novel in a month um, thing. Or rather, write a first draft of your novel in a month of November. If you think an average novel to be around 50,000 words or so, then you can finish your first draft by the end of the month averaging about, you know, 1700 words a day. Sounds like a lot of writing. Well, it's actually definitely doable. My personal best is about a month and a half for an entire first draft of 50,000 words. Plus, I still kept my day job, so uh, I'm not bragging. Okay, maybe I'm bragging a little. But what I'm trying to say is, it is actually doable to write an entire first draft of your novel in a single month. And I know it is almost the middle of November already, but I thought I might give you some pointers on how to maybe at least try to undertake something like this uh, in the upcoming episodes. So these episodes will be part of the None of Remote series, let's say. Even though it might sound pretty huge, it is only really as big as you make it. So, how do you write an entire novel in a month? Well, for this particular episode, I will be talking about how to set up your outline, or maybe not set it up at all, and leave it all to discovery writing. Well, to be completely honest, I am not much of a discovery writer anymore. Take this as sort of a disclaimer before I dive even deeper. I will be talking mostly about my writing technique and my experiences. Now, I will be talking a lot about shortcomings of discovery writing, and please don't take it the wrong way. Think of this sort of a warning. Discovery writing is a fantastic experience and amazing tool, but it should be wielded with knowledge of what could go wrong. Because, you know, when you're using any tool in writing... A lot of things can go wrong, and it is kind of a prudent to realize these shortcomings of this particular technique. Especially since many aspiring writers kind of jump into discovery writing right from the bat. I mean, I get it, it is very tempting to sort of just start typing and see what pops up along the way. And it is a fantastic feeling. But it actually takes a lot of skill to keep your writing focused and not to wander off too much when you're discovering. I have seen a lot of texts from aspiring authors that are just really messy and chaotic and the author, you know, just proudly proclaims, well... I am a discovery writer, so it's okay. It, 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 it really isn't. Discovery writing is a technique, not an excuse. But it is very easy to confuse those two, especially when you don't have too much experience with writing yet. That is why, for me, um, you know, writing a novel is 
mostly about being prepared and looking ahead as far as I can. There is still some discovery going on, obviously. I mean, it's kind of undoable to plan all 50,000 words up ahead. Stuff just kind of, you know, happens when you're writing. And, you know, stopping it or forcing it away can actually send you back quite a bit in your writing process. So let me give you sort of an outline, steps I usually take in preparation for writing, and, uh, you know, a little bit about writing process itself. As I said, I spend a lot of time preparing the text. When you look at stuff we already talked about in this podcast, you know, the Chekhov's gun, the Deus Ex Machina, you know, world building, and, you know, other plot and writing tools I have mentioned already, it is just too much to keep in my head while producing a new plot, maybe even an entire new world, you know, at the same time. That is exactly why I spend a lot of time outlining, rethinking, maybe even rebuilding parts of my world before I even type chapter one. Let's try to approach this a little visually. Think of your novel, or rather subplots of your novel, as strands of rope. In the beginning, they might be all, you know, tangly and all around the place, but by the end of the book, they should be nice tightly woven braid of rope that is pretty much, you know, writing a novel or at least a conventional plot. It's about outlining ideas and topics and kind of just like weaving them in into this one consistent and dense outcome. Now, apart from subplots, we have stuff like ideas and topics that resonate strongly in the plot or in the book. Like, let's say, the topic of heroism. What is it? What makes a hero a true hero? You can think of this as another, let's say, a thinner strand that you add into the mix that you want to weave into your rope. The point is, in a conventional story, you should end up with uh, all these strands in in a very nice, dense rope, you know? And many aspiring authors tend to end up with a rope, for sure, but there's a, you know, there are strands kind of falling around and, you know, flying around it. And all of this, you, you really don't have to think about it too much when you're in a full-on discovery writing mood. You have an idea for an opening scene and you just, you know, put it down and you just kind of move on and keep moving on. You are just enjoying your writing and that is great. That is actually awesome. The problem starts to pile up later on, though. And that is what happens to many aspiring authors. That is actually what happened to me when I first started writing. Let's take our example of Alex, the orphan with mysterious, you know, ancient tattoo that wields magic. The opening scene is pretty clear. Alex sits, uh, let's say, on a rock, overviewing his home village. Okay, I can use his eyes to sort of paint the village for the reader, the surrounding hills, stuff like that, blue skies, green hillsides, maybe a nice river in the background, why not? I can basically Bob Ross uh, for like, let's say, a page and a half, just, you know, by Alex sitting on a rock. And let's say, okay, uh, a, a voice sounds in the distance calling Alex, and it will be his teenage crush, Brianna. Okay, I can introduce her now. I can put in, like, let's say, two paragraphs about how awesomely attractive she is and how madly he is in love with her. Then uh, they walk together through the village and I can have people recognize them, smile on them, greet them, maybe add a group of friends. Yep, you know, why not? And uh, maybe one strong friend, um, silent but brave type, one annoying friend, uh, maybe another girl, uh, and uh, 
you know, put a female, another female in the mix. And I can kind of just spend like two pages writing about how idyllic their friendship and their world is and, you know, how simple life is in their village. And then I can just kind of continue on to the enticing incident. So there you go. Chapter one is pretty much done. Maybe 2,000, 2,500 words, just like that. Maybe even uh, more if I introduce Alex's foster parents. And I can end the chapter with a ominous sound in the distance, you know, like maybe uh, a scream of someone in pain echoes through the village. Perfect. Let's carry on to chapter two. Okay, what happens in chapter two? Well, uh, the sound is coming closer. Sure, why not? All of a sudden, uh, screaming is audible all over. The villages, you know, stop working and all of a sudden a monster tears through one of the houses. Now we are cooking. Alex grabs Brianna and runs. Well, okay, maybe he shouldn't just run. I mean, he's supposed to be the hero. But at the same time, I kind of want to show off the strong and brave friend they have. You know, I spent like half a page talking about just in a previous chapter. But uh, okay, um, maybe plus I want to show off the annoying one as well. Uh, If someone should be running, it should be the annoying friend that runs away. You know, it kind of makes sense. Okay, so Alex stays and fights for a little bit. And Brianna is like, come on, let's get out of here. Uh, Okay, good. So the annoying friend tries to run. and But another monster gets him, like, right away. He dies. Alex's mysterious tattoo starts to glow. But, uh, hmm, did I mention the tattoo in the first chapter? Okay, we are still at the beginning, so it should be okay. So, um, but... Did uh, did his friends know about the tattoo? What was their reaction when they first saw it? And was Alex accepted even with the glowing tattoo? Or maybe it didn't glow up until now. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, whatever. Alex jumps into battle and uh, the brave friend joins him and brave friend is killed by the monster. So Alex sees the chances are slim, so he grabs Brianna and runs away. Not very heroic, but yeah, he's still learning. It should be okay. So they run together through the village amidst the attack. Okay, and... Now we're back in business, pretty much. This should be a nice little scene. You know, a couple of teens holding hands, you know, houses burning all around them, you know, shrapnel and, you know, wooden stuff just flying around in slow motion. This should be a nice scene, you know. Uh, you know, they see their neighbors dying, the houses being destroyed, villages, you know, being set on fire, stuff like that. So uh, this should be actually pretty nice and interesting and intense moment. So, um, wait, what about Brianna's family? Okay, they stop at her house and then her family is dead. And she cries, Alex Alex grabs her and, you know, pretty much drags her away to safety. The monsters jump in his way. Alex's tattoo glows even stronger and he scares it away using the tattoo. They run into the hills with sounds of their home village being massacred, slowly fading into background. There you go. Chapter 2 is done. Okay, we had some stuff that, you know, made me slow down a bit and think a bit. But uh, now a new chapter starts and it should be fine. So maybe we can introduce a subplot. Mm, Okay. Maybe stuff like some knights in a war room talking about villages being destroyed in the hills and, you know, the attacks. That would be a nice change of pace from all of the action, actually. Plus, I can introduce a new character. Let's say a brave yet looked down upon captain of the king's army. Okay, uh, she can be the strong and brazen warrior 
and kind of, you know, serve as the opposite of the fragile and panicked Brianna. So when Alex meets her, the captain, he has a choice to make. Uh, Brianna or the captain. Who is he going to follow? Who is he going to maybe fall in love with? A uh, warrior or a gentle soul? And he picks... Uh, uh, well, you know what? Let's cross the bridge when we get to it. I mean, it will just clear out along the way, right? I mean, yeah. About a quarter into the book is usually when the first crisis tends to hit. The questions keep kind of piling on. And sure, some of them can be answered easily, but not all of them. And many aspiring authors tend to just kind of add strands to the rope they are building without really thinking about how it affects the whole thing. You know, like, uh, why did I spend my time and reader's time talking about uh, the other female friend in a group? of Alex's friends. Did you forget about her? I sure did, right after the chapter one. What was her part in a plot as a whole? Well, I mean, she served uh, to show Alex's idyllic life before the attack, I guess, right? She was part of the setting of Alex's home village. And maybe Alex and Brianna can uh, meet a girl that looks just like her later in a, you know, in a book and kind of reminisce a bit. Maybe, you know, some things uh, put in a different... I don't know. Okay, but what would be the purpose of the new character that kind of looks like the girlfriend they had died and is forgotten? Um, uh, maybe nostalgia, right? That could work. You know, they, they meet her, they, uh, they all get very nostalgic and, you know, uh, the, the village attack is just put in a different perspective, I guess. And this is exactly how you get stuck quarter way in, maybe half the way into the text. Discovery writing is a lot about adding new stuff, new ideas, new characters, maybe even new locations and aspects of the world that, you know, mostly fit, but usually not all the way. And when you approach a writing process in this fashion, you can get very easily tangled uh, into all of these and end up looking, you know, in an empty page halfway through the chapter, not sure uh, what your characters should do or say. And, uh, you know, you Google some stuff about writer's blog, maybe you'll power through Maybe you just kind of make the cut and start a new scene, uh, pushing turbo on the discovery writing mode. And every time you sort of power through or come up with a solution or, you know, a bit of your enthusiasm kind of chips away. So piece by piece, you might easily end up being stuck in a place in which you simply don't have enough power to kind of, you know, come up with a new way of solving this scene or situation in your book and you are not sure how to continue your story even though you might have the end all planned out in your head but there is this huge void of white screen space between you and the end of your book and this is what happens to a lot of aspiring authors they jump into discovery writing without really knowing the shortcomings of it and just kind of end up, you know, starting a new book or text or novel and, you know, going a quarter way in or halfway in and then just going, okay, I'm stuck. I will just start with a new one. And they just jump again on the discovery writing wave that feels really great and feels really freeing and just kind of continue on. They get stuck halfway through. And I'm not, I know exactly what I'm talking about because I have like five unfinished novels in my drawer that I just started and didn't know how to finish. So what do you do? 
as I said, discovery writing is very powerful and I maybe make it sound worse than it is. It, it, you just have to realize what it really does. It does, it kind of frees your mind, it frees your creativity. But for the creativity to actually create something worthwhile, you kind of need to bradle it from time to time. For many aspiring authors, discovery writing can go, you know, can run wild because it's not handled properly. There's no like second wave of feedback. There's no second wave of kind of bridling the enthusiasm and the discovery writing. Let's use an example. Let's think about a female captain from chapter three I just talked about. What is her story? Or rather, what is her part in Alex's story? She can be an interesting and, you know, aspiring character, uh, you know, although a little cliche one, but, you know, still a badass female that really puts Alex in his place, right? That, you know, she can have a real impact on a story. The problem with discovery writing in the hands of aspiring authors or not as experienced authors uh, usually is that they never really fulfill the potential of their ideas because they don't provide space for fulfilling of the potential. It is quite simple, really. Uh, think of it as having a rough, wild strand into a rope, and then another and another, uh, and you'll end up with thick, rough rope instead of this neat, slick, and dense one. Okay, uh, it seems like this rope metaphor pretty much ran its course. So maybe think about it as, as adding an unpolished diamond into your story. You know, every idea is a diamond, that is unpolished and un, untreated. And instead of just kind of focusing on polishing the ones I already have, I will just keep adding new ones. But I end up with a bunch of, you know, rough and, okay, nice diamonds maybe in a composition, but not with uh, a bunch of really nicely done and, you know, uh, treated and nice, nicely brushed diamonds. I don't know if I'm making any sense. So, okay. Characters need space to develop and become liked by the reader, right? So you need to see the character in some different scenarios to really get to love them based on their reactions to the different scenarios. Uh, but if you keep adding new characters and new locations, just kind of, you know, based on what pops into your head right now, you never really end up adding the scene that would really make the character shine. You can make them, you know, know, do something heroic or fantastic, but to make the character shine, you really need to kind of tailor the situation for this particular character. Think about Gandalf in Moria, you know, it would be much less satisfying if, let's say, an Aragorn would, you know, stay on a bridge and try to fight Balrog. He would lose right away. I mean, he is a king and everything, but he's not mage. Gandalf, on the other hand, is a mage. He actually has the power to defeat Balrog, but we cannot see that because we don't understand mages yet. So the tailored scene that really makes the Gandalf uh, a hero that sacrificed himself is all of a sudden in a book and is really made just for Gandalf, not for anyone else. Only Gandalf can solve this situation. And that is exactly what you're aiming at. And this sort of stuff often becomes a problem with discovery writing because you just keep on writing and discovering and you don't really always take time to think of the perfect situation or perfect scene to make this character shine and to give the character space the character really needs to become, you know, the full potential of the character. 
And that is exactly what can happen to our female captain. You know, she could be presented in an impressive way, promising a wonderful, you know, experience, wonderful character. But unless you provide her with a situation that makes her this wonderful character, you don't really, you know, reach her full potential. And that rarely happens unless you plan the character and the situation the character is going to be in. You usually don't just happen on these things just by discovery writing that is exactly the problem you know and after 20 minutes of me talking we are finally getting to the topic at hand which is preparation and planning It actually reminds me a bit of something and uh, okay, as you might have heard in episode 3, I am a stand-up comedian and there's this one thing I noticed when performing and really helps to kind of understand the relationship between planning and discovering in your creative process. I plan my stand-ups pretty carefully, I write them down, think of the best punchlines, best words I can use to communicate my message. But stand-up comedy is a performance art, so when you run the material a couple of times, um, you usually get a better understanding of what people see in your material as really funny. And so I change the things around and practice the material to the point that I can tell it in my sleep, you know, intonation, voices and all I need. And this is the planning part. So I get on stage And I know exactly what to say, how to say it, and, you know, at what time. And I get very comfortable. Comfortable enough that I can add new jokes in between the ones I already have. Run away from the material, go off topic, uh, improvise, and be really, really genuine in the spur of the moment. Because I know what comes next every single step along the way. So, in a way, the preparation helps me to improvise because I never get lost along the way. Even if I run away off topic completely, I always have a place to return to, you know, place to hide in, which is this completely practiced and, you know, brushed material. And that is where I start to have fun along with my audience. And it is exactly the same with writing, at least, you know, for me. I spend a lot of time planning and outlining major scenes and plot milestones for each chapter. Not word by word, of course, that is pretty much impossible, but I create a pretty tight structure. I plan each, you know, strand of the metaphorical rope and I plan how to weave it in and make it part of my eventual rope. Now, how does this help? Okay, so it provides me with a structure that I can freely move around in. I can freely discover within the structure and I always have like a point of safe return. Okay, so let's say I know I will have a female captain in chapter 3, right after the attack on Alex's village. So, and I want this female captain to serve as an opposite to Brianna later in the text, so Alex has like two opposites to choose from. The fact that I know the female captain will be in the text right after Brianna and her scene in a village attack, you know, it really tells me a lot. And the fact that I know how this, you know, distant outcome is going to be with Brianna and 
a female captain being the opposite, it really helps me a lot, again, to understand what I want to write and what I want the scene and the captain introduction to be about. Now, I kind of know the Brianna's role in the first attack and I know that aspects of female captain to focus on when I introduce both of them pretty much. So Brianna is gentle, she needs to see her family is safe, you know, before they run to safety. She's scared in the face of danger, not panicky, just inexperienced and not very resourceful. She is driven by emotion, therefore, when the attack comes, she will not pick the best road to get home, but she maybe picks the road that makes her feel, you know, safest. When she sees her dad family, uh, she kneels down, she tries to drag them to safety despite it being too late for them. She needs to be dragged away by force, by Alex, you know, away from her dad family members. She's not resisting as much as she just, like, feels her life is over and she wants to stay with her family, you know, even in death. So she's driven by emotion again. Okay, now for the captain. Let's put her in some situation that I can use to draw some parallels between her and Brianna. You know, maybe not uh, endanger her life, but maybe uh, make some tension, you know, give her something to lose. So I need to show she's driven by reason, not emotion. She's resourceful and she keeps a cold hat in the, you know, face of danger and she's not very open to sharing whatever is going on inside of her. So she enters the war room late with some blood all over her. Other knights ask her what happens and she replies very matter-of-factly that her horse stumbled along the way and injured its leg. So, you know, she already heard multiple villages are being attacked at the moment and the war is being upon the kingdom. There was no time to drag an injured horse along, so she killed the horse, took some meat off of him, uh, you know, as much as she could carry, uh, ran to the closest village along with the meat, and exchanged the meat for the mule, which she used as a new, you know, way of transport. And maybe one of the knights asked her, do you mean the horse that was given to you by your father on your birthday? And she says, yes, because there was no time, the villagers are in danger. And this whole, you know, killing her horse can make her look bad and kind of uh, insensitive. So maybe later in a chapter, I might want to balance it out a bit. So by the end of the scene, she sees the village on the map that is not attacked yet, but is, you know, on a way of the attacks. And everyone in the room thinks it's pretty much a lost cause, but she exits in the middle of the conversation and, you know, tries to make it to the village on time and save the inhabitants. It kind of makes sense. This way, her quick and resourceful, even though brutal, thinking about the whole injured horse situation suddenly makes a sense. If she did not sacrifice the horse, she would not make it in time to the war room uh, to hear about the village in danger and she would not have time to, you know, run away amidst conversation to try to save it. This helps me to plan another chapter later on, actually, when she manages to evacuate some villages before the monsters strike. And therefore, I can fulfill her potential as being this sort of ruthless hero, yet still a hero. Yeah. 
So, okay, I plan all of this, and where does this leave us with the whole discovery writing? I mean, I have it all planned out, right? So what is there to discover? Well, that is the thing, is quite a lot, actually. I need to flush out these couple of sentences to an entire scene. What are they going to talk about in a war room? Or let's say, what state are the Brianna's deceased family when she finds them? I mean, she could find them, you know, calmly lying in the rubble, or she could find a gory, brutal scene after the monsters attacked, you know, with blood everywhere and, you know, messy. There would be a huge difference between either of those scenes. It can even provide a subplot or sub-motif for Brianna based on what she finds in her home, you know, a gory scene or a nice, you know, resting in peace family members. And okay, let's discover a bit. Um, she can find her mother holding an old rusted blade trying to protect her family. She dies in a defensive pose. And maybe she never saw her mom as a violent type, yet this gentle village woman fought until the very end and even killed one of the monsters, let's say, that could... And that could convince Brianna that there is a fight in her despite her being raised as the good girl. Or she could find her father clutching a holy symbol, you know, dying in prayer. And this could set Brianna on an entirely different path. Or maybe, you know, make her religious. Or make her hate religion. I can leave these little things to discovery as a write and just add it into my outline later on. I can let myself discover a new strand of my metaphorical rope, um, you know, or maybe not. All I need to do is find some time later on and make this strand part of my entire rope in the end, make it, you know, part of my entire plot, create a scene where this strand could make sense and the scene in which I can kind of weave it in my entire plot, my entire novel. So pretty much what I'm trying to say is when you go around discovering, better go prepared so you don't get lost. Good luck with your writing and hopefully you were at least a little bit inspired. Thank you for listening.